So today's topic, Pastor Jack said, would you, would you preach uh, on this topic? The topic is the relaxed life. So for the first time that you speak in front of our church, why don't you come and talk about being relaxed? So, <laughs> sorry, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I, was, I mean, I'm going to do the topic, Jack, but here we go. I, I do find myself uh, feeling a lot of anxiety this morning. I want to I want, to, I want to do a good job, and you know, my brother goes here, and my family members here, and uh, I love you guys. I love what you do in your church and your heart. You know, you welcomed us in, and, 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 and like a family, so thank you. It is a privilege and an honor to be here today. What are you anxious about? I'm anxious being up here. What are you anxious about? What are you anxious about? What, what really makes you anxious? You know what makes me anxious? I had to go to the doctor. Last summer, I, I was lifting weights, and I ripped my pectoralis major. I've told this story at EYA, so my apologies. Uh, I ripped this muscle in half, and I had to go get an MRI. And so I went uh, to get the MRI, and the doctor told me where it was, and I think I stopped listening at some point, and I was just wandering around down by Hammett. This guy, I see this mail carrier, it was seven in the morning. I was like, hey, could you tell me where the imaging center is? He's like, absolutely, just follow me. I know where everything is. I was like, great. So I just come up here, fifth floor, go in, nobody in the waiting room, just sit there, wait. Barbara or whatever her name was will come out and she'll call you and then go in and do your thing. I was like, thank you so much, Frank or Bob or whatever his name was. And I sat down and wrote my name on the thing, sat in the room, getting an image of my pectoralis major. The lady comes out. She looks at me a little confused. She said, Andrew Kerr? Can I help you? I'm here for the image. She's like, this, this is the breast exam place? Guess I'm in the right place. <laughs> I don't like doctors. How about traffic? Does that, does that bring some anxiety? You know, talk about living a, a slow-paced so slow life, a life without anxiety, just living as God wants us to. Except I don't want to do that in the car. I don't want to live my slow-paced life in the car. I want to get to where I'm going. And so in traffic, do you do the thing, the stoplight thing? Like you pull up the stoplight and you try to figure out which car is faster ahead of you? <laughs> you got the big truck in the right-hand lane and the sports car in the left? And you're like, oh. But then you realize that the guy in the sports car in the left is out for a Sunday drive. And the guy in the right lane in the big truck is a UPS driver. You're like, oh, wait, go back to him, get over there. You're in the grocery store, you're in line, and you're checking out the lines. You do this, and you figure out who's checking out people faster. Do you watch? Do you do that? And you get in, you get in the line you think is going to be shorter. But you always keep your eye on that person that would have been you. Right? Oh, and they get out. Your day's ruined. They get out first. <laughs> what brings you anxiety? 
Airplanes, spiders, I have a lot of anxieties. Airplanes, I pray that. Do you pray the prayer? In the, you're going down the runway and you make sure you're good with Jesus. You know, confess. Everybody pray for family. Do you do that? Every time. I know it's supposed to be safer than driving, but I don't do that when I drive. Every time I'm running down that, going down the... Somewhere, there used to be a comedian that we listened to when we were kids. It, and he always got nervous on planes. And they, somebody said to him, why are you nervous? You know, you're not going to die unless it's your time. He said, but what if it's the pilot's time? <laughs> it's different. Anxiety. America is full of anxiety. 40 million people in our country suffer with issues of anxiety between the ages of 18 and 54. It costs our country $42 billion because of anxiety. Two of the top medications that are prescribed in our country, in the top 10, are Paxil and Zoloft. And I'm, listen, I'm not against, there's probably a lot of people here that struggle with anxiety at that level. You may take medication, and it's good. If it helps, it's good. All I'm saying is that we have a country in anxiety. I took medication for attention deficit disorder. I mean, medication is good. God uses things like that. I stopped taking medication for attention deficit disorder. Somebody asked me why. I said, well, I, I forgot to go get it refilled. <laughs> There's a problem in the system there because if you run out and you get distracted, I'm saying. Three out of five people or three, people that struggle with anxiety are three to five times more likely to go to the doctor, six times more likely to go to the hospital. 42% of young adults deal with their anxiety with recreational drugs. And 72% of Canadians use alcohol, and I don't know why that was in there. I just, just wrote it down. It's a lot of alcohol, eh? <laughs> You're helping me, thank you. You're helping me. We struggle with anxiety. We're, we're so thrown when things go wrong in our life. Why are we so thrown off? Why do we expect things to go well in a world that is so broken? We're oftentimes completely, when things don't go our way, when our expectations are dashed. But we know that the world that we live in is broken. We know that Jesus promised that in this world, you will have trouble. He promised, that's a promise from Jesus, that you will have trouble. We're supposed to believe his promises. Romans 8.21, Paul says that, this world is in bondage to decay. It's breaking down. It doesn't work the way it should. God put it in motion, but we allowed sin to come in. It's broken. Death reigns and sin runs rampant. This world doesn't work. Even if you're a scientist, the second law of thermodynamics says that things have a tendency to go from a state of order to chaos. This world is broken. It doesn't work. And we get so anxious when it goes wrong. 
But Jesus says that there's another way to live. There's, there's a different path that we can take instead of be tra- being trapped in our anxiety and our struggles. That we can find a way out that he is the way. That he talks about his kingdom, the way that his kingdom is supposed to run, the way that life is supposed to work in his kingdom. That's how it should work. And the kingdom of God, he says, is growing. When he talked about the kingdom, it's growing in two different ways. It's growing in this world. It's expanding in its influence. That the reign of the, in rule of the king, Jesus, is expanding outward. It's like the smallest seed, the mustard seed, growing into the largest tree. It's expanding. But it's also growing and expanding in us. In Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29, we're going to look at this parable. In this parable, Jesus, Jesus explains how spiritual growth works in us. Now, this falls on the tail of, of the, the, the parable of the seed and the sower. And the seed and the sower is about the four different kinds of soil. The path that the, that the seed falls on, the seed, we, Jesus tells us, is the word of God. And it falls on the path But because it's hard, the birds come and steal the seed. Rocky soil, the soil is shallow, and so it doesn't, it accepts it, and it grows up quick, but the sun scorches it because it doesn't have any root. Then it has the seed that falls among thorns. There's there's thorns that choke out God's word, and then there's good soil where it takes root. So Jesus follows that parable with this parable. This is Mark chapter 4, so if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you want to go there, this is the NIV. And it says, he's, he also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day. Whether he sleeps or get up, gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself. The soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as, it, as, soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. So I want to talk about four aspects of this spiritual growth that I think Jesus is trying to point out to us. That we can learn about how we can live this relaxed life, this life that's embracing Christ's way of living instead of our way. And the first is that the word of God, the seed, the word of God gets planted in us. Jesus tells us in the previous parable that that's, that's what the seed is. It's God's word. It's his truth. It's his gospel that gets planted inside of us. And it falls among different soils. And I want to ask you today, what soil do you, do you feel like is going on in your life? What, what soil do you feel like? Do you feel like you're that hard-packed soil or do you feel like God's doing something and growing in your life? I've heard people take this parable and say that, you know, well, what I learned from this is that, you know, even, even Jesus only has about 25% effectiveness. You know, the good soil. There's four types of soils and the seed goes out and there's only about 25% effectiveness. Which brings, to, which brings to mind those famous scriptures like, for God so loved the world that he gave his son for 25% of it. Or he wished that all would perish except about 25% and those would come into it. No, no, God, I don't think it works like that. I don't think that's its point. 
This point that at different times in our life, things happen or work in our life to such an extent that we become ready to embrace the Word of God. I believe at one point in my life, I was very rocky soil. But there was a lot of work done in my life by different people, by people that God was sending to me to to break up those rocks and to create good soil ready for God's word. So where are you at this morning in your life? Maybe you feel like you're the hard-packed soil that you've been walked on so much that you just, you're not ready to hear that. Or maybe you feel like that rocky soil where We know that soil is only broken down rock, eroded rock. So maybe enough hasn't happened to you yet for you to be ready to receive God's word. Maybe you just have so much going on in your life. And this is where I often feel like these days. Sometimes there's so many good things to be involved with that they're choking out the best. And I would encourage you, if that's you, to start a to-don't list. I'm s- you laugh. I'm serious. What can you stop doing? Because oftentimes the good things in life become the enemy of the best. What soil are you? Old Testament in Jeremiah 4, 3, and in Hosea 10, 12, God says to Israel to plow up that fallow ground, it says, that dormant ground, that hard-packed ground, to plow it up so that you're ready to receive what God has for you. Listen to me. You do not have to get your life right with God. That's not what he's saying. That's not even your job. Matter of fact, you can't even do that. It's not about getting your life right. It's about getting ready, ready to receive. You may think, I have too much going on. There's too much junk in my life. There's too much, I don't know if I can say this in church. There's too much crap in my life. I just did. There you go. There's too much of it. But God does his best work in those situations. Matter of fact, that's the best soil. If you talk to a farmer, It happens. God does his best work in the worst of messes. He plants his word in you to change you, to change you from the inside out, and it starts. And sometimes it's imperceptible to begin with. But God wants to take you and make something awesome out of your life. What does good soil look like? It looks like James 4.10 where he says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and what will he do? He will lift you up. James 5.16, confess your sin to one another and pray for one another so that you will be healed. And one of... David's low points in Psalm 51, he had, a, he had a bunch of low points, but in one of his low points, he said, this is God wants a broken and contrite heart, a repentant heart. That's good soil. 
You don't have to get right. You just have to get ready. God will do the work. The second thing is to realize, first, that God is doing the planting of his word in you. The second is the potential that's there. The soil has potential. You were created with potential. God made you in his image. He crafted you and created you, made you in his image. He put you in charge. He made man, man and woman. And he said, he said, you will have dominion over all of this. Be fruitful and multiply. That was our first job. That was our first mission statement. And I just wanted to say this morning uh, on the be fruitful and multiply, great job, uh, Erie First Assembly. <laughs> and a bunch of kids up here. Doing good. That he made us in his image. He put us in charge. He placed us in the garden. He said to Adam to cultivate and to guard this. Literally to to take what I've given you and to be like me, God says, to create and make things. He gave us the responsibility to watch over this place that he created. When he stepped back, this place that he said, this is very good. He put us in charge of it. And he said, watch over it and cultivate, create, make, use your brain, do awesome things, create art, create music, build stuff. I believe that, that, that had sin never entered the world, that we would still have cities in architecture. Where does the Bible start? Where does it start? It starts in a garden, right? Where does it end in Revelation? Yeah, it ends in a city. And I believe that, that heaven is more than just fluffy clouds and babies with harps. I believe that there's awesome stuff for us to do, to be a part of. But sin entered the world. We sold over those rights to Satan. We allowed sin and death to enter in, and we spiritually died. But Christ came to redeem us. To redeem who we were supposed to be to redeem and put back, to make us who we were supposed to be. The word redeem means to do something again, right? Re means to do it again. If you know English, I'm married to an English teacher, so I know these things. (laughs) What does deem mean? Mm -hmm. To make a judgment. And what Christ came to do is to call it good again. That through us, he would call us out of death and sin. He would call us out of that life. By his word planted in us, he would call us out and redeem us to make us good again. And then to put us as agents of his kingdom to help cast the seed of the word of God to this world to make it good again. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven that we would take those things, that we would work with Christ, that we would partner with him, that we would become all that we were supposed to be. The potential of the word of God and the potential of who we are could be something of greatness. And sometimes we go through our life with this anxiety that I can't, I'm never, it's not gonna. But what God wants you to know is that you can't and it's not going to be unless you partner with me and then all things are possible through him. All things are possible. That in Christ, we become new creations. 
We can't become the extraordinary of what God wanted to do. He redeems us. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says about us, about human beings. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk, talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one of these destinations. It is, the light of, it is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with awe and circumspection that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, our friendships, our loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. The potential that is in you because you are a creation of God partnered with the potential of God's word in you to do something incredible. The third thing in this process of spiritual growth is this aspect of perseverance, that Jesus says that the word of God is placed, it begins to grow, it begins to sprout, and, it, and you get the stalk, and then you get the grain, and then you get the, the kernel in the grain, the, the very fruit of the plant. But that process is often slow, and, and we get discouraged, and anxiety creeps in, and, and we forget why we're here. We forget why we've been created. We forget what God wants us to do. But that scripture that Jesus says, that parable says, all by itself, it produces. All by itself. Though the farmer has no idea, he scattered the seed, the seed took root and began to grow all by itself. See, whether he goes to sleep or wakes up, he continues about his routine, but God is at work on the inside. Down at the City Mission, we have an addiction recovery program for men and women, and I teach a class to the men and the women, and the one day we were teaching about you know, loving God and loving your neighbor and talking about it. And the next week, uh, this girl comes in, and she says, I got to tell you this story. I don't know what's happening here at the City Mission. But I, I don't know. I kind of like it. I'm like, okay. So it's like, well, I was out on the street and I was smoking a cigarette. And this guy came by. It was super annoying. He came by and he was trying to bum a cigarette. I'm like, okay. I was, so I told him no. No way. And he wandered on his way, headed towards the bus, smoking my cigarette. And then all of a sudden, those words came back into my head love your neighbor. So I chased him down. I chased him down, and he was getting on the bus, and I got on the bus, and I gave him a cigarette. <laughs> she said, what's happening to me? Now, I don't know how you feel about being generous with your cigarettes. That's not the point. It's a process. It's a process. My friend, when he was uh, newly a Christian, he was a drug addict. He was into to coke and math, uh, I don't think math, crack, but you know, you know, once you get in that deep, I'm not sure. Anyways, he, he came home from a binge one night 
And, and he dropped to his knees. And he said, I remember looking at the bottom of my desk. And, and I just was at the lowest point I can imagine. And I cried out to God. I didn't even know who he was. I just said, I need help. If you're out there, help me, save me. He said, I got up, but something was different. And I, and I, I typed on my computer that night that I had surrendered to God. He said, all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm, I went back to what I did. I just lived my life. I went back partying, smoking, doing what all, all the things I did. All of a sudden, I started to feel bad about it. It was like, I, I probably shouldn't do that. And one by one, he crushed his crack pipes. He stopped partying. He ended a relationship that was unhealthy. He ended up surrendering his life to Jesus in that journey at some point. God was gracious to him. He began to work in him. The process, all by itself, God begins to stir and do his work. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw up everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before me endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is a different analogy for the same process of growth. That the writer of Hebrews takes the analogy of running. and says, continue to run with perseverance. What's interesting about that word in the Greek is, and I'm not a Greek scholar, I looked this stuff up on the internet, you can too. That word means patient endurance. Run with patience. It almost seems contradictory. Run with patience. Throw off the things that hinders. I ran track in the 80s. You know, we didn't have a lot that hindered us in the 80s as far as clothing <laughs> and track. But what the writer of Hebrews actually has in mind when he says, throw up everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, he's actually got the Greek runners in mind. So let me just say that the Greek runners had less than we had in the 80s. They ran naked, in case you didn't catch the, that's what they did. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the author and perfecter. The pioneer and perfecter. He's the one that started you in this race. He's the one that put that word in you to grow. He's the one that will carry it on, as Paul says in, in Philippians 1.6. He will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He will do the work. He will carry it. All you have to do is put your faith and trust in him. But you have to run. You've got to run. There are things that we need to do. When I was a kid, my, my mom had a garden. And um, it was like I had a love-hate relationship with the garden because I like to eat the stuff. But I didn't like all the other stuff. And, but we had to tend the garden all the time, pulling weeds and doing stuff. You know, I kind of wish we, back then we used to have... They had one of those garden weasels, but I, we didn't have that, you know, so we had to pull it out by hand. It was really important that we pulled it out when they were small, when the weeds were small, because they were easier to pull out. There's things that we do to tend this relationship with God, but God does the work. 
so that we can relax, that God has a plan. He has a purpose. And that leads us to the last one. There's a purpose for this journey. Christ says when that comes to fruition, it produces the fruit of the plant. And the farmer, what he does is he takes that, he harvests that. And some of that, I'm sure he takes and he grinds up and he uses for bread for his family to feed his family. And he uses some of the crop to continue to sow seed. Listen to me this morning. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for greatness. He created you in his image. He sent his son to die in your place, to purchase you from death and sin, and to give you a life that, yes, we don't deserve, but that he was willing to, because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. He did it for the joy. The joy set before him was you and I. He paid with his life to win you back to life so that you will fulfill the purpose for which you were created. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. He wants you to know that. That he made you for a reason and a purpose. And if you're sensing or feeling the anxiety of life crushing down on you to know that God loves you, he is continuing his work in you. And he will carry it on to completion. He will carry you on. Till you stand before him or he returns. So I believe that in this process that the answer to what to do with anxiety when it comes at us because it will come at you. Paul gives us in Philippians 4, 6. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. When I first read that, I often am, I feel like, shut up, Paul. Is this a, is this a safe place? <laughs> Are you allowed to say that about? That's how I feel. Like, okay, don't be, hey, you know what the solution to your anxiety is? Don't be anxious. Oh, that's better. I wish... How, let me ask this question. How many people that are married in here, if your husband or wife, when you're upset, say, why don't you just relax? How many people immediately react, relax? <laughs> you guys just chill out after that? I'm glad you said something. <laughs> Hadn't thought of that. Yeah, I'm going to take a nap now, I think. I just... So relaxed now that you said that. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think Paul is giving us a formula here of what to do when we face anxiety. Instead of being anxious, pray. Let your anxiety be a prompt in your life. When you feel it coming on, pray. When you're sensing, you're in traffic and you feel it, pray. 
Listen, if we just did that, we would be praying so often that God would just totally change this whole region because all of us would be praying if we just used it, anxiety as a prompt to pray. So I'm going to give you an acronym to end here because all good pastors give you acronyms. So this is the acronym PRAY, okay? If you have a pen, write it down. If you don't, it's going to be really hard to write it down. <laughs> the P is petition God for help. He says ask. A lot of people feel bad about praying for themselves. This verse, it's not there anymore, but it would have said pray, <laughs> petition me, bring your request to me. I want you to pray. R, remember to thank him. In the process, remember to be grateful for what God has already done and what he's already doing in your life. If we just decided to be grateful instead of anxious, if we made steps in our life to try to think of the things that we're grateful for and that God has given us freely, it would change our attitude, I believe. A is accept his peace. Accept his peace. And the why is yield to God's control. Because it all comes back to giving up control of your life. When you try to manage your life, it will end in anxiety every time. When you allow God to take over and to trust the process that he has something great for your life and you pursue him, you keep your eyes fixed on him, the author and perfecter of your faith. Jesus tells us, instead of worrying about what to eat or drink or about what to wear, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the other things will be added to you. All the other things. This church has a really incredible mission for the city. I'm privileged to, to be a part of it, to be friends with so many of, of you here. Our city desperately needs you. There's a lot of people that are still far from God that, that, that don't even know that there's an answer to life's biggest, deepest problems. And Jesus took 12 high school guys and transformed the whole Roman Empire. I'm excited to see what God does with your church in the years to come. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I'm so grateful for this congregation, and I pray today that, that you would burn in the hearts of each one of us just how much you love us, and God, what purpose you have for each one of us. That when we trust you with the process, that we can step back and, and be content that you are taking us where we need to go when we continue to surrender to you and trust you each day. God, we pray that even today that you would continue your work in us, that we would be changed to be more like you, crafted in your image to be that new creation that you have created us to be. And that we would leave here with, with renewed passion to take the truth of Jesus Christ and his love for those that are still far from him and that you would empower us to take that into the city that is in desperate need to hear it. We pray this in your name, Jesus.
Amen. Folks, uh, again, thank you so much for being here. Uh, thanks, Pastor Jack. You know, I, I had to dress up, so, uh, you know, he's such a handsome guy, and just, I get nervous when I'm around him, so I just did my best. Um, but I, I just want to say, I just want to say thank you, and God bless you, and keep doing what you're doing. We love you from the Erie City Mission. Have a great day.